We are continuing in our sermon series, Kingdom Life, as we, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are still in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are in verses 33 through 37. And as Jimmy, Jimmy said in his prayer, the, the topic of this passage is oaths, vows. Now I realize that coming on the heels of verses 21 through 32, talking about anger, murder, lust, adultery, divorce, and leading up to verses 38 through 48 in the next couple of weeks, which address retaliation and loving our enemies, some, some pretty big deal subjects, it may seem a little anticlimactic to talk about oaths and vows, right? Seems maybe perhaps a little out of place. But I believe that every time the rabbi, the king, opens his mouth to speak and to teach, he does so intentionally. So I believe with every fiber of my being that this passage is put here by the master intentionally. In fact, I believe it is put here because bookended by these big deal items that we've already looked at and will continue to look at, oaths and vows speak to the very heart of character of his followers. And therefore, oaths and vows are at the heart of his message talking about how everything is a matter of the heart. I believe Jesus put it here for that reason, and I believe that it is beyond just intentional, but it serves a purpose. Because as we have gone through each of the, the previous three items, and as we continue through, we're going to continue to reinforce this, this understanding that the outward action is, is important. But what Jesus keeps hammering home to his audience is, it's more than just what you do on the outside. You have heard it said, whatever the external action is, but I say to you that what is in your heart, what is your intent, is a direct reflection of so important than the action itself. If, if committing the act of adultery is sin, we get that. But if lusting after is equally sin, then making an oath is probably not such a bad thing, but the intent of the heart. Now, that brings us to, to context. Remember where we are. Several weeks ago, I talked about location and context as we came into the Sermon on the Mount. And remember where Jesus is. He's at the, the northern end of the Sea of Galilee in an area that is referred to by biblical scholars as, as the triangle, the orthodox triangle. And if you remember, it's called the triangle because the scholars of his day lived and taught there. So he is in the, the scholarly epicenter of his culture. And in that context, yes, there were common folks there, but his audience consists, and who he's directing his statements to, consists primarily of his disciples, these scholars, these rabbis, these Pharisees, these scribes, these teachers of the law, and 
their disciples. They are in his audience. And so, in that context, Jesus is speaking to them in a language and a style that they would understand. I also believe that you and I live in a culture today that the truth is relevant, right? That, that's kind of how it's treated. Truth is no longer absolute, but is relevant. You have your truth, and you have your truth, and I have my truth, and therefore they must all be true. And you don't have to agree, and I don't have to agree with you, but your truth and my truth are still true. And I don't think Jesus says that. I think, I think as we read and as we study and as we listen to the Master, when He talks about truth, He talks about it as definitive. Right? It is absolute truth. We'll get more into that. But I also believe we are familiar in our culture with the term fake news. And while I'm not up here this morning to, to bash on news and, and on culture, I'm using this as an illustration because there is a reason that you and I probably do not trust the news media to give us a whole lot of truth. And that is because in our generation, there was a time where, where the news media was about informing the public. That's not so much the case anymore, is it? Our, our mainstream media has has come to a place in its existence where it is more about shaping and forming our opinion rather than informing us of fact or truth. The words that we are going to consider this morning in our, in our passage uh, were spoken by the one who said of himself, who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. The one who in Psalm it says his word is truth. And Jesus is going to present in this passage and through all of the Sermon on the Mount and quite frankly throughout all of Matthew because every one of these topics is going to come up again later in the book and as we go through it we will cover them again in more detail. But he presents to his audience and to his disciples a standard of truth that is immeasurably, infinitely beyond mankind's standard. Let's go ahead and read our passage. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall per perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Parenthetical insert for more than a couple of weeks at a time. That's not what he's talking about, obviously. But let what you say be simply yes for yes and no for no. James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
echoes the words of our Lord in his epistle. And he, he puts special emphasis on this, this command. And he introduces it with the words, above all. Let's go ahead and read it. It'll be on the screen. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know, as with, with the previous you have heard statements, and, and also the ones that are coming, I believe this one also has clearly been spoken to in the Mosaic Law. Uh, the religious leaders, however, had taken and they had perverted and corrupted and twisted and contorted and tangled the law so much that it was nearly impossible, if not impossible, for the common people to understand what God's intent was. Remember several weeks ago we talked about how they, they had created these fence laws, right? And you guys have seemed to enjoy my, my funny English, and so I'm going to use some more today. In their, in their writing of these fence laws to protect the people from violating the Mosaic law, Mosaic law, they were masters of language. And they used what I'm going to call weasel words. These, these religious leaders, in their wonderfully ornate descriptions and, and definitions of, of these fence laws, worded them in such a way that because they were so well known for being able to make these grand proclamations, take these amazing, spiritually pious oaths in front of all of their audience to see, and then weasel their way out of it legally because of the way that it was worded. And that was intentional. And that is exactly what Jesus is speaking to in this audience. This audience consists of those who were notorious. Not, I'm not saying every Pharisee, every scribe, every priest. I'm not saying every one of them was like that. But they had developed a reputation because they had a command of the text they had memorized it from little itty-bitty, right? They were the best of the best of the scholars. They had a command of the text. But they had learned to use it to their advantage. And so that is what Jesus is speaking out against in this passage. In fact, we have some Christian, Christian organizations, groups, in our age, in our generation, that have taken this passage, uh, Matthew 5, 33-37, to say, you and I as believers, as, as children of God, as Christians, should never swear an oath or ever take a vow. Any of you in here married? Yeah, a few of you? Did you have a ceremony? Was there an officiant and some witnesses? Did you get a little document saying that that was legit? Did you have oaths, vows? Are you sinners because of that? I don't think so. I don't think that's the point of this, this teaching. I think Jesus is paraphrasing, and we're going to get to it later. I think Jesus is paraphrasing something from the Torah. And he's using it to make a point. A very powerful, sharp point. He is saying to his disciples, don't be like that. And he's saying to those who are like that, Stop! Let your yes be yes. 
Let your no be no. It is better for you to not make a vow than to make a vow you have no intention of keeping. And even though you can legally get out of it, you've made the vow. And therefore, you are bound by that vow before God. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the priests, the teachers of the law had had gotten to a point where they would make these vows knowing they had no intention of keeping them. To look outwardly righteous, outwardly pious. And has been the point of, of this entire series, one of the underlying points, that for you and I and them as believers, it's not only the outward appearance, but it is the character, the internal character that is to be a reflection of the one we call king. Let's continue. Oaths and vows show up extensively throughout the Old Testament. We would be here literally all day if I went through and referenced, not even discussed, went through and referenced each location where oaths and vows showed up. But it is interesting to me that only in the Matthew 5 passage, our passage today, and the James 5 passage that I read, those are the only two places where they're really talked about in a negative light, where we are told not to take an oath or a vow. Um, Everywhere else throughout the Scripture, there's a kind of a unique twist to this. Not only are they permitted to take them, I I don't think Jesus is saying don't take them, and I don't think God was saying don't take them, because everywhere else in Scripture, you know how oaths and vows are told to be taken? Commanded by God in His name. Interesting. I'm going to have a slide up here on the screen of a mezuzah. Any of you familiar with a mezuzah? Show of hands, you know what it is? Okay. So the mezuzah, and they don't all look like this, but a mezuzah is a a scroll holder. And for an Orthodox observant Jew and many Messianic Jews, they will put these often on the gates coming into their yard and then on the door coming into their house and often on the doors uh, uh, inside their house for many rooms. They'll put them on the doorway going into their business. This is a pretty big deal to them. They they recite what is on the scroll that is rolled up and put inside the mezuzah. That scroll is called a cloth. They recite what is on that. Do you know what's on that scroll, anybody? The words of Shema. Are you familiar with Shema? Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You know what that is, right? Probably not. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In fact, Shema is so much more than that. It's, it's three separate passages. And across the bottom of the screen, I don't know if you can read it, Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41 are the passages that make up Shema. And Shema is a big deal because the Orthodox, the observant Jew, recites them in the morning and in the evening, and every time they go past one of these mezuzahs, they stop and they put their fingers on it, put it to their lips, and they recite the words of Shema. 
as a constant reminder every day that God is God alone. And that my role is to love Him with every bit of my being. Every decision, every action, every word, every thought. So why am I talking about mezuzahs and scrolls and Shema? Well, because the rabbis and the scholars had a form of teaching that Tom has mentioned and I have talked about previously called remez. And where a passage is quoted, it is to remind the hearer, especially if they are a scholar, a passage is around. It can be before, it can be after, it can be all of the above, right? But it is a form of teaching that, that the scholars of the day used, and it was called remez. Well, the first passage of Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 passage, there's something that comes very shortly, like three verses after, four verses after. Let me read that to you. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him, and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. So to the observant Jew, reading the Shema, even though this, this verse is not included, would be part of the greater understanding every time they recite those words. When I make a vow, when I make an oath, when I declare anything, I do it in the name of God. God is my witness. You've heard that. Let's go a few chapters further in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10.20 You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him. And you shall swear by His name. Notice the verbs in both of these verses. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall worship Him. You shall serve Him. You shall cling to Him. And you shall swear by His name. So if, if in our passage in Matthew 5, Jesus is saying, do not take an oath or a vow. Do not swear ever. Remember back to when we first opened up the Sermon on the Mount, we were talking about the Beatitudes? What would these rabbis, these teachers have said to him? Rabbi, you have abolished the law. And what did Jesus say? I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill, to bring true understanding to the Father's intent. So if he's coming to bring understanding to the Father's intent, and the text repeatedly says, when you swear an oath, do so in the Father's name alone. Why would that be? Well, the religious leaders of the day like to swear by the temple and the altar and the gold in the temple. You know, the gold in the temple was more important than the temple itself. And the sacrifice on the altar was more, more important than the, the altar itself. And Jesus says to you and to them, it's better for you not to swear at all. Just say and do. Be people of your word. So, the verbs used, and in the two passages we just read in Deuteronomy, both of those speak or point very clearly, in my opinion, 
to the first two of the Ten Commandments. Let's go ahead and read those. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. God's people were to worship him and him alone. And they were to make their oaths or swear their vows in his name and in his name alone because he is the true God. You see, the altar and the sacrifice, the tabernacle, the temple, the gold, the silver, the bronze, they had no power. Only God had power. And so if your oath was sworn in his name, God is my witness, right? Then that is between me and God. If I break that oath, I have God to pay because I've called him as my witness, my legal witness. God's people were never to create or bow down to an image in the form of any created thing because God alone is sovereign. To worship or to serve anything else other than him is is to put that item or that person in a place that is reserved specifically for him. Leviticus 19.12 says this, And you shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The prohibition of swearing falsely by the name of God goes directly against the third commandment. Let's look at it. Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And and we need to look just briefly. Again, we're, we're not in a message about taking the name of the Lord in vain, but we need to look at what that means, right? We tend to, to gravitate in our culture to taking the name of the Lord in vain is, is using it profanely, right? And, and that is certainly included, but there is much more to taking his name in vain. To take his name in vain means to, to invoke it or to carry it in a way that is empty or light or profane. To to use it without humble acknowledgement of of the authority and the character, the holy nature of the one whose name we are invoking or or carrying or wearing. And that is a, a violation of the third commandment. And we're not supposed to invoke his name or or use it in a way that it's tied to something trivial because he is not trivial. He is the pinnacle of everything that we are about. You guys have heard 2 Chronicles 7.14 cited probably most often during election season. And that seems to be appropriate, but it's appropriate here too. Let's read the words of 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by, whose name? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Let's put it in context. This passage, 2 Chronicles 7.14, Solomon is dedicating the temple. 
And God says to Solomon, responds to him, you've made a place of worship, but hear me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Had nothing to do with the temple. God is seeking relationship and has been from the beginning. God is seeking character and has been from the beginning. Not characters, right? It's okay if we're, if we're characters. But he's seeking people of impeccable moral character, not of their own. People who are willing to surrender to his shaping. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23. I believe this is this and one other passage is what Jesus is referencing in his, his teaching in Matthew 5. Read it with me. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You should be careful to do what is passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. The other passage is Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 5, 4 and 5. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. I believe the words of the Master in Matthew 5 are not telling us vows are bad, oaths are bad, they're wrong, they're sin. I don't think that's the point of the passage. I think the point of the passage is for his disciples, hey, your character matters. You are a reflection of me. You are ambassadors of my So you should look like who I called you to be. Our, our character should be that of someone who is, whose word is beyond reproach. If, if I say I'm going to do, then there should be no doubt that I'm going to do. And if I say that I'm not going to do, then there should be no question that I am not going to do that. I believe that is the point of Jesus' message, that to his disciples, let your yes be yes. It isn't don't take a vow, but you shouldn't have to. You should be of such character that anybody who hears you make any statement knows that it is truth. Your truth, your character is impeccable. I find nothing in Matthew 5 that, that fails to match up with the Old Testament, honestly. The statesmen are, are, are clear in the Mosaic Law and throughout the, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. The error that Jesus is dealing with, with the religious leaders, is, is not that they have misstated the law, but they were mishandling it. As Jimmy was praying before I came in to speak, he, was, he said, let us not use your power for our own gain, for our own reasons. And that's exactly what the leaders were doing. And that's what Jesus is talking against. We have unbelievable power at our fingertips, in our mouths, in our, in our inner being. And we can do unbelievable good with it. But we can also wield unbelievable evil 
with that same power. The matter of the issue is, where is our alignment? Are we focused on our will? Are we serving Him? You guys know how God views His name, right? He he holds that pretty high. I have another slide I'd like to put up. This is from Psalm 138.2. Do you know how Jesus and how God holds His Word? Read along with me. I will worship your ho- towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. If we are children of the king, if we are the ambassadors of the king, if you and I are people of the word, then you and I should be people of our word. I want to close today by rereading Matthew 5, 34-37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Would you pray with me? Father, as we, as we meditate on this passage, as we meditate on Your Word, my prayer today for each and every one of us in this room and all those who, who listen online and hear this message, Father, is that You would stir within us a desire, a burning hunger, an un quenchable thirst to be like Your Son. To be people of the Word and of our Word. That our character, that our nature is so fundamentally beyond reproach that when we say yes, people know that it is yes. And that when we say no, they know that it is no. And we don't have to swear an oath or a vow. And that when we do take oaths and vows, Father, that that there is a time and a place for that. But we should never do them with, with the intent of being able to wiggle out of them or weasel out of them. We should never do them knowing that we have no intention of keeping them. That our oaths are between us and you and that you will hold us accountable. Father, we love you. We praise you. Jesus, we thank you for, for being the rabbi who showed us what it was like to truly, sinlessly walk out your word. It is in your name that I pray. Amen.